0: if you're in the youth group, you are excused today. You're out of here. So see you later if you're in the youth group. Unless you'd like to stay, then you can. So feel free to uh, choose either one. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Not you. (laughs) See you later. This is uh, Pastor Jimmy's first day just doing youth group in, uh, well, since I've been here. So... Bye, Pastor Jimmy. And he got to sit in to worship, and like, so pretty cool. Uh, Pastor Peter Seelen is all on his own upstairs, like, what's going on? So if you have a moment to pray as you're sitting in service, that'd be a great thing to do. Um, there's a couple of things we want to do this morning. Uh, this is the final day for three of our people on the leadership board. And so we'd like to thank, officially, Jerry, Hannah, and James. If you guys would stand up. Uh, Jerry's not, so he'll stand up in soul. So uh, James and Hannah, if you guys would stand up and just give you guys a thank. Good job. Look, I know that our church is better off because of your leadership, and I, I know that thanks isn't enough, but we offer it anyway. Uh, would you guys join me in just praying for them? As Today is their last day. They actually have to go to something even today on their last day, so let's bless them in prayer. Father, we thank you for the leadership of these three amazing people. Thank you for their gifts and their, their powerful uh, vision for this church, That their steady hand that is has kept us through a difficult time into this really powerful opportunity time. We thank you for their wisdom and their heart, their love for you and their love for us. We just pray, God, that you would continue to use them in their gifted areas. Thank you for them. We bless them in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, update uh, our, those of you that were voting, uh, the voting to move absolutely passed with the overwhelming numbers, so we will be moving uh, to Cowan Street in an undisclosed time. So we haven't told uh, today, uh, right after service, the LB is going to go and figure out when, what week we'll be moving there. And so just to check out, your, make sure you're looking at your Facebooks. It will be at least a couple of weeks, so we'll be announcing it in service. Um, so at the earliest would be like the third week of January, uh, but perhaps the first week of February. And so we'll give all that information, both in physical form, we'll put some on a paper for those of you that like that. And we'll put it on our digital formats as well. But uh, So that's a really exciting thing, but kind of scary, but really exciting. And so uh, Jericho Road will, for their first time, have a permanent facility that will uh, be ours to grow into. So that's pretty good. So. And I'm, I'm sure you'll hear about God's miraculous hand on it. I mean, God has absolutely done this for us. We weren't even looking or, or searching for it, but he did it, uh, providing this building... Uh, even a couple of weeks before the city told us that next year we wouldn't even be able to be here anyway and so God is really powerful and at work and so uh, so so cool to finish uh, this year this way like so much stuff has happened this year and I'll I'll be honest I've had the series that I'm going to share beginning today I've had it rattling in my brain for about two years so and I think that if it was in my brain for two years, it should be really good, right? So my worry is that, like, my my real, I really have, like, I, for about two years I've been thinking about this. And so I'm actually never nervous about sharing God's word normally. But I am a little bit nervous that this is going to suck because I, like... It's been on my heart for so long, and I'm like, God, I don't want it to like, Well, God, your word never sucks, but I sometimes suck, and I'm like, God, I don't want to mess up this thing, because it's like, I've been, like, I had it when, when I did the Jericho Road series when I first came. I had it, but I was saving it. I was like, oh, this one's good. I'm going to use it later, and uh, so I don't know. That's just, like, full disclosure about, like, I'm worried about this series Because I think that God wants to say something really powerful, and I don't want to get in the way of what he wants to say to you, and I don't want to mess it up so that even as you share what he's doing in your life with people, I don't want to mess that up either. And so uh, really, I've been asking God, God, I pray that you would speak to them, and I wouldn't screw up this really exciting message that I think that he has for every one of us. Talking about an unexpected encounter, that's what the series is titled. It's going to come from a passage that sometimes we call the woman at the well. So you'll, some of you have been in church at any amount of time, you'll recognize the woman at the well. And the idea is that sometime in life, we meet someone and it changes everything. Sometimes in our life, even if we're not expecting it, we meet someone and it changes everything. For me, I, I met my wife when I was in 10th grade. I was five 5'1", 10th grader at Sunny Hills High School. I was in math class, algebra 2, uh, third period, uh, Sunny Hills, Mr. Woods, room four sixteen. Not that I would remember at all. <laughs> I don't know the exact, but but I was in tenth grade, and I was in the front row in the math class. And I looked back one day, and I saw the most beautiful person ever. And the slow mo happened, and the light shined, and it was like ah. And I was like, the moment I saw my wife, I looked over my right shoulder. She was right here, three chairs back from me, sitting in the front. The moment I saw her, I was like, oh my gosh, like, my world changed. I was so excited. I had met the love of my life. And it was awesome. But she didn't meet me. <laughs> there wasn't any light coming this way. I was in darkness. <laughs> I saw her. I was in love with her. And I was this tiny little awkward, un- insecure, like, sophomore kid. And, and, uh, and I-, I wanted to talk to her, but I didn't know how. And so for the... The next year, I tried to figure out how to talk to her. So this was probably in October, but I didn't talk to her, I don't think, until the next year, my junior year, <laughs> maybe in the, maybe right around there. But I, I wanted to see her, and I wanted her to get to know me, but, but so I started to try to figure out, like, how could I see her? Because I ended up dropping the math class because I was getting an F, so I dropped out of the class, so I didn't get to see her every day, and, but I wanted to see her so much that I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to see her. And so I, you know, figured out what her schedule was, and, and uh, at break time, I would leave my friends hanging out a little bit early, and I would run when the break bell rang, run and then stop because I knew she was going to come out of the library. That's where her friends and her hang out every single day. They were like total nerds, right? And so I, would, I never hung out at the library <laughs> unless I thought she was going to be there, and then I might be at the library. <laughs> but I would run before, like right before the break bell rang, and then I would stand there and then wait, 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 and then when I saw them coming out, I would walk by like all cool like that, you know, Boom. This was, I only had one strap, because that's how you did it then. I re- one-strapped it right by her. But I didn't talk to her, because she didn't know my name, and I don't even know if she spoke English at the time. But, but for, for about... I'm not, I'm not even joking. <laughs> for, for, it's Sunny Hills in Fullerton, come on. <laughs> it was like 80% chance she didn't speak English. So, but the first like six weeks, like literally, every breakdown I'd run by, the first six weeks, I just walked by hoping that she'd see me. And i just make eye contact and, you know, not even, like, like, I didn't know her or whatever. And then there was six weeks where I was trying, like, so, you know, eventually she, you know, looked at that person. And then the next six weeks, my plan was to, like, go by and just do the, the eyebrow. Hmm, what's up? Hmm, like that. So get her eye contact and do a hmm. Because we're not friends yet. She don't know me, right? So this is how I work, you know? And then six weeks after that, you know, I, literally this is how it worked. So a few weeks after that, I was like, what's up? Two or three days later, you can't go every day because that would be obvious, right? So you have to skip a day or two. Then I'd go back and then I'd say, "What's up? Hey, how you doing? What's up?" Like that, you know? Not, not uh, just playing it real cool. And so that that took about six months until I actually <laughs> uh, <laughs> sounds weird. It <laughs> took about six months till I actually got the courage and that she recognized me. And then you know, it's like he's safe, he's not too scary. And she was taller than me at the time, she could and probably weighed more than I did. She was like 85 pounds, and, and I was skinnier than her, so it was sad back then. But after about six months, I actually got enough courage to finally talk to her. How you doing? <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. But, it, but I would purpose to go see her. And, and Jesus is similar to that without like the awkward sort of creepy, but cute, awkward, creepy. Uh, so Jesus is really similar to that with us. Like, he really desires to meet with us. I mean, so much so that he would go out of his way, not even out of a library, but he would go out of his way to meet with you. Here's Jesus in heaven. So he, Jesus didn't get birthed. He existed eternally, and he's in heaven. And, and, and God tries to meet with people, but uh, through angels and mediators and the law and this kind of stuff, and people aren't able to get to come up to God. They can't ever, they can't, they can't live up to the law that God has set. They can't reach to him. And God says, I really want to be with them. And so Jesus, I'm going to send you to go meet them because they can't meet me. They can't get up here. And so Jesus leaves heaven. I mean, heaven is perfect. There's nothing wrong, nothing bad. It is absolute perfect and happiness, and Jesus chooses to leave that. We call it the incarnation, and come into the form of a human being, and not even be the king of the human beings, but to be a servant of people, and ultimately to get crucified, spit on, and beat by human beings for the sole purpose of meeting you. He went out of his way cosmically, eternally, infinity, taking the form of a human being, being incarnate to come and meet with you. Jesus is interested in meeting every single person. He He has a desire to build a genuine relationship for every one of us. And our unexpected encounter begins with the idea that Jesus wants to meet you right where you live. See, he has to search you out because we didn't even look to him. But he came and he wants to meet you right where you live, no matter your location. If you're in Asia, Africa, North South America, Europe, Australia, even if you happen to be in Antarctica, Jesus wants to meet you right where you live. If you live in, in, in a poor village in Thailand or in Cota de Casa, a poor village in America. <laughs> Jesus wants to meet you wherever you live. But not just geographically where you live, but, but sort of metaphorically. Jesus wants to meet you right where you live. No matter the circumstances that you're living in, whether you're poor or rich, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a store clerk, or a stay-at-home parent, Jesus wants to meet you where you live. During the best year of your life or, or if it's one of the worst years of your life, Jesus wants to meet you where you live. No matter what your life looks at, it looks like at the moment. Maybe, maybe there are people here who are enemies of God. You're just like, I, my wife dragged me here. That's why I'm here. Maybe some of you are, you know, you're ambivalent. You don't really know. Sometimes we call it agnostic. You're not against God, but you're not for God. You just don't know. Maybe there's some non-religious people even came here today. Like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm looking around, but I'm not really sure. I'm a little skeptical. We could have some new believers here. We have some people who have maybe been a follower, but a disinterested follower for quite some time. And we have some people here who are lifelong Christians. So wherever you're living, that's where Jesus wants to meet you. So for non-believers, the Bible says something like this to you. God demonstrates his own love. Here's how he shows it. While you're still sinner, while you're still an enemy of God, while you're still against God, while you're still agnostic or anti-God or whatever you are, if you're in that camp, you're not a believer in him, Jesus says, I love you enough to come and die for you, <laughs> even if you're my enemy. He says, I love you so much that I will, while we are sinners, Christ died for us. For if we're, while we're God's enemy, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more can we be near him After we've been reconciled since we've been saved through his life so even if you're an enemy of God Jesus still wants to meet you and some of us we've been friends with God for a long time maybe you met God there's this really cool passage but an important passage in Revelation and sometimes people think this is talking to non-believers but this passage is written to the church at Laodicea in the church are Christians and so this passage is written to Christians It says, look, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and you open the door, then I'm going to come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. So this this verse is for believers because some of us, we, we believe in our brains about Jesus. We said yes to Jesus, but we have wandered away from him and we haven't met him recently. But the Bible says the word to you is Jesus is like, I am right here. I am right there knocking because I want to meet with you and I want to be with you and I want to hang out with you and I want to share a meal, not, not literally, but I want to I I be with you. I want to meet you. So Jesus wants to meet us wherever we're at, wherever we live. Imagine with me for a moment, imagine with me this type of person, maybe a Korean American woman living in Irvine. She's been to church many times. She knows the basics and she knows Most of the nuances, too. She finished college and she's working, you know, trying to juggle her schedule, take care of the family, find time for her friends, shuttle the kids around. She's made lots of mistakes along the way. I mean, more mistakes than she'd like to admit. More mistakes than anyone even knows about. Certainly, her early sexual encounters that led to an abortion. Alcohol was a problem for a while, but she mostly has it under control now. I'm not sure which was the bigger mistake, her divorce or the quick marriage that happened before that. She's got some friends, but maybe not too close because, because of the insecurity that's within. That if they found out that she really doesn't have it altogether like she portrays to the world. And so she doesn't let people get too close. She has no idea that what she really needs is an unexpected encounter with Jesus. I mean maybe maybe you're like that today. As you review your year, I maybe mean, think about your life a little bit. You haven't really thought about it. But perhaps you too need an unexpected encounter with Jesus. I mean you weren't even expecting it this week. I mean you didn't know that something was going to happen today maybe. But here it comes. Are you open to an unexpected encounter? Our passage comes from John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So the heat starts to come on. Jesus is down in the south. Israel has a north and a south part. He's in the south and and the Pharisees, who are religious leaders, they're noticing that Jesus is starting to get a following. Now, John, uh, this is John the Baptist, not the Apostle John. Uh, this John the Baptist, he had a lot of people following him. And now Jesus' groups are getting bigger than John's. And the Pharisees are taking notice. And they're like, huh, what's going on? The Pharisees are not interested in losing religious power. And so they're very wary of people who are gaining more power than they are. And so Jesus recognized this, and he knows that they're likely to cause trouble for his ministry. So he says, you know what? We're going to move on. He says, we're not going to deal with that now. Now, Jesus isn't afraid of confrontation. He's going to have plenty of confrontation later. It's just not the right time now. So he leaves uh, from here, and he's actually going to travel northward towards where his home is in Galilee. So Jesus left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee, now, he had to go through Samaria. So I got a map here. Ready for a map? I do believe I have a map here. I don't have a map? Oh, that was my second, the update one. All right, well, I will picture you out a map, okay? So, so here's, uh, Israel's like long and thin. The southern part is called Judea. Now, what happens is if you go right up through the center of Judea, you have to go through a place called Samaria, now, the Jews don't really like to go through Samaria, so pious Jews would go around it. They would cross the Jordan River. So here's the south, here's the north. The easiest way to go to Galilee is just straight up. But many of the pious Jews, because they didn't like the Samaritan people, they would cross the Jordan River, go up this way, and then cross back. Now, it was only about a 20 or 30-mile difference. If we were driving, it wouldn't be a big deal for sure. But it was a walking distance, and so sometimes it was kind of a pain. But they would uh, purposely avoid... Uh, Samaria, many Jewish people, not all of them, but many would, but it was worth it because they seriously disliked the Samaritans and The reason is the Samaritans' ancestors were uneducated, poor Jewish people who had been left behind after the Babylonians conquered the jews so the the way the Babylonians work, they came down, they conquer. They take all the smart people, all the rich people, all the educated people, and all the nobles, and the Babylonians take them back to their capital and make them work for the Babylonians. So what gets left is like the the riffraff, right? So that was what's left. And this is some several hundred years before the time we're talking about. And so these poor people are sitting there, and uh, they're hanging out kind of by themselves, and they end up marrying the Canaanite people. So it's Jewish people, poor Jewish people, marrying Canaanite people. Now, God had forbidden the Jewish people to n- marry Canaanite people, but uh, it was kind of a mess at that time. They had been conquered. The Jewish nation wasn't, didn't even exist. And so I'm sure people were like, kind of whatevers, you know? And so they married these uh, Canaanite people and they became the Samaritans. Now, they don't worship in Jerusalem, but instead they set up their own worship centers that were in Samaria. They didn't want to go all the way down. And so they put these uh, uh, worship centers which combined elements of the Mosaic Law. So they had some Jewish parts and they had some superstitious parts that were ancient, and they had some Canaanite religion parts. So they kind of mixed this all together. We call this syncretism. So they took all their, their culture, they took their friend's religion, and they made their own kind of religion. And so the Jewish people don't like them because of that. These people built, built their own temple. They, they built it, and they named it a temple to Yahweh, which offended the pure Jewish people, of course, because they were using God's name. So they built a temple to Yahweh at Mount Gerizim. And the Jews didn't like that, so when they came back, they got released from the captivity. They actually destroyed that temple in about 128 B.C., 126 B.C., right around there. So they destroyed that temple. They didn't like them having their own worship center. The Jews Jews considered them unclean, and therefore they wouldn't associate with them, and they constantly reminded the Samaritans that they were not part of God's people. Samaritans are not chosen people. They're not... They're rejected and they're inferior. And so that's how the Jews treated the Samaritans. But will you look back at the passage with me? There's a part that that is really important and really easily missed. Can we look at uh, John 4, 3, and 4? So so Jesus left Judea. He went back once more to Galilee. And check out this phrase here. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now he... Had to go through Samaria. Now, this is a really interesting word, so I looked it up in Greek. And what this, the emphasis of this word, he had to, means, it was, it must happen. It's literally translated must happen, or it is absolutely necessary that he goes through Samaria. But is it absolutely necessary? Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? It isn't because of travel routes, because I told you earlier that Jews would constantly go around Samaria. There were tra- well-traveled travel routes around it that you didn't have to go through. It It wasn't for any practical reason. He didn't have to go there to get a particular water or a food stop. There was no reason that he would have to go through Samaria. But the Bible says that he had to go through Samaria And we're going to see this because there were people who needed to meet Him. People He needed to meet with. Remember, our premise is that Jesus meets us where we live. He couldn't go a around because there were people right in the middle of Samaria that needed to meet Him. And they would not meet Him unless He went where they lived. They were in need of an unexpected encounter. There were people waiting for salvation waiting for God's healing touch, waiting, aching inside, and they didn't even know it. Jesus had to go them, to them because Jesus always goes where we live. You guys, that's just as true today as it was then. Jesus meets us where we live, locally and metaphorically. You are not too far out of his way. There is no one here that is unreachable, and none of our friends are unreachable. There is no one on this planet that is too distant from God. He won't go around you, and he won't sidestep you. You, don't have, you. you can't possibly come from a place that's too small or too large, too crowded or too dirty or too rich. Jesus always meets us wherever we live. So Jesus comes to this town in Samaria called Sychar, doesn't ring any bells. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now, let me tell you something really interesting about Sychar. Sychar was just recently, oh, there's my map. Hallelujah. Oh, someone jumped in there. See? There's a way north. Jesus is going to Galilee. That's where he's from, up north. And uh, he was coming from Jerusalem. So the pious Jews would jump the Jordan River, go up that way. It's nice. Jordan River is nice. Vegetables and, and water, but Jesus goes directly through to Sychar. Now, Sychar is really interesting because Sychar is a rebuilt city. The city it rebuilds on it. Now, if you're a Bible nerd, you're gonna go like, oh. the city is, that it's rebuilt on is Shechem. You say, hmm, that sounds familiar. I've been to church a lot. Why does Shechem sound familiar? Would you remind me, Pastor Sam, why Shechem sounds familiar? And I would love to remind you why Shechem sounds familiar. Shechem is the first place, so Sychar's renamed. She- Shechem was destroyed, and Sychar's the city that was renamed where Shechem was. Shechem's the first place that Abram stops when he goes to the land of Canaan. Remember, God calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He wanders around, and when he gets to the promised land, this is the place. He stops here. This is where Abraham then renews the covenant with God. God had promised him some stuff, and he says, God, you're going to, and God meets him again right here at Shechem. He says, I'm with you. I'm meeting you. This is my covenant for your people here. This is the place where God appeared to Abraham. This is the place where Abraham stopped when he got into the promised land. This is the place where Jacob bought a piece of land and built an altar to God after fleeing his uncle Laban. He came running back to the land. He was about to meet Esau. This is where he met him, right here. He and his wives stopped here. And this is where they set up camp in Shechem. This is where Jacob met with God. This is where the bones of Joseph were eventually buried. Remember, Joseph went into Egypt. He died there. He remained bones there for 400 years. And when they took him out, they brought him back to the promised land after wandering around for 40 years. This is where they buried him at Shechem, Joseph's bones. This place is crazy. This is where Joshua, you know, Joshua, who retook the land. This is where he renewed the covenant with God. And this is where Israel and he revived their passion for their Lord. If you'll know that phrase, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was given at Shechem, later known as Sychar. This place it's all about God's promise amidst human weakness and brokenness. Meeting us despite our inability to meet Him. Meeting us despite our failings. This happens all the time at the city of Shechem. And Jesus is about to have another miraculous encounter. Come on, give me a come on now. Come on now. He's about to have another miraculous encounter. So Jacob's well is there. The one that Jacob dug and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, he sits down by the well, and it's about noon. So he arrives in Sychar, gets to the place he wants to be. Nobody's there, and he sits down, and he begins to wait. The well is the Starbucks of Israel. The well is where stuff happened. Women, uh, normally with a, accompanied by a male chaperone, uh, they would collect water for uh, the various days' uses, cooking and cleaning and that sort of stuff. Uh, Perhaps they would bring some of their animals and they would water their animals at the well. And they would spend time chatting with their friends and sharing news and sharing life. And this would almost always typically happen in the morning uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it gets hot, and so they don't want to carry stuff in the hot of day. And they also need the water for the whole day's use. So this would typically, women would come in the morning... but Jesus shows up at noon and there's no one there because that's not well time. It's like Starbucks, that's not the time to go to Starbucks except for some of you, you go to Starbucks at noon, right? <laughs> so that's weird, you shouldn't have coffee at noon except nowadays we do. But uh, So he shows up noon, this is not water time. This would be uh, one of the off hours of the well. <laughs> like the employees are cleaning and that kind of stuff. But he knows that he has an encounter soon so he comes to the well and he sits down and he waits. He's come to the right location. And now he waits for the person that he needed to see. Remember, he said, I must go there. I have to go through Samaria. And so he sits down and he waits for that person to encounter them. But you see, that's how God works. He shows up and he waits for us. God shows up and he waits for us. The miraculous, unexpected encounter that was about to happen at that well is exactly what is happening right now in the Heritage Center in Irvine, California. Jesus was here before you were. He came into these chairs earlier today and he sat down and he was waiting for you. He knew you were going to be here. And he sat and he waited. Just like he did at the well. And he was waiting for you because he knows this is where you live and he knows he needs to meet with you. Every single one of us. Jesus is waiting for the person that he came to meet today. But will you show up? I mean, you're physically here. Are you available? Are you open? Jesus has come, and he is absolutely waiting to meet you right where you live right now here at the Heritage Center. But are we available? I know you weren't expecting it. I know that, that maybe you didn't know that Jesus was waiting. But that's why it's an unexpected encounter. You didn't know today was the day that you were going to meet Jesus again. Some of you, for the very first time, Some of you, he's knocking and says, hey, remember me? Like We used to hang out, but it's been a minute. I came where you are. I'm ready to meet with you. Are you ready to meet with me? Because Jesus always meets us where we live. He wants to talk with you. He wants to share good news with you. He wants to have a metaphorical meal with you. He wants to place his arms around you and comfort you no matter your situation. He wants to inspire you. He wants to to hold your hand. He wants to put his arm around you and sit right next to you. He's come to meet you. Are you available? He's come here today, right here, because Jesus always meets people where where they live. Now, next week we're going to see that Jesus is willing to associate with anyone. We're going to see the person that he's come to meet next week. I would say if you were ever thinking about inviting someone to come to church next week it would be a great week. Because we're going to talk about Jesus wants to meet with anyone no matter what happened to them. He wants a relationship with each and every individual. So I was wondering if maybe some of you will invite someone next week so that they could have an unexpected encounter. But for those of us that are here today would you join me? And we're going to pray something together. And I want you to not just pray it today, but I want you to pray this every day this week. Would you join me in praying, Jesus, will you meet me? Let's just pray that together. Jesus, will you meet me? Jesus, will you meet me? Would you join me in asking Jesus that question? Maybe tell him, I'm ready. I'm available. Jesus, will you leave. Maybe you didn't expect it. You weren't planning on it. Jesus is knocking. He wants to be with you. For your first time or for your 10,000th time. Right where you live, Jesus wants to meet with you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, will you meet?